Season 4, Episode 10. The finale is opening night. Starts. Larry, three days out. Still does not know his lines. Nope. He's getting closer. He's getting closer. But no, Cheryl still having to run through it with him on the book. Only three days out at this point. So did you catch this in the first bit of the sh- in the episode? He's talking about Katie Huffman. And he says, I met her at Ben Stiller's party. Yeah, that's when they met. They're in the show together. Like, he must know her beyond meeting her at Ben Stiller's party. They have to have rehearsed together. Well, yeah, I'm, they have rehearsed together. But th- like, I didn't think that was that weird because that's when he met her. They showed it on camera. But But... If you're in the show with somebody, you're not going to tell Cheryl offhand when you met her. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I guess that's a good point. Like, oh, you're right, Katie Hoffman from the show. I think yeah. it's kind of a slip because that's the only time she's in the season. Well, she's a real actress, actually. Right, right. Um, so, yes, I mean, he's he's obviously rehearsed oh, with her. I thought it was a weird slip. You know, you're you're right. You're I didn't I didn't notice it at first because it I pictured him meeting her at Ben's birthday party and talking about. Uh, how Ben was two weeks late and had lost his jurisdiction on throwing a party or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, you're right. It, it doesn't actually make sense. He, he'd say Katie from the show. And Cheryl would know Katie. Like, yeah, Katie Huffman. Right. So this episode is all about Larry going to New York and opening night of the producers. Before he gets to New York, though, he gets on an airplane. Some good scenes on the airplane. In, it, well, it sets it up in which, one, Jeff lies and tells Katie Huffman Larry's OCD. Mm-hmm. Two... David Schwimmer clearly tells the flight attendant, who's Yvette Nicole Brown from Community, uh, that Larry's seat is back. Although they always notice anyway. They always notice. Especially in first class, when there's like eight people who notice. And, and the three, my flying. favorite part, is Jeff just sits on planes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he just sits. He doesn't bring a book. He doesn't bring a magazine. I mean, I'll just sit on a plane if it's like under an hour maybe, but this is cross country. This is L.A. to New York. Jeff just sits. Jeff just sits. So Larry has to go to the bathroom in the middle of the flight. Um, yeah. This has no consequence, but he pees standing up. Wrote the same thing down. And this is a good time to actually, even if you don't pee sitting down, an airplane's a decent time to start because of the scene, because like, you can get rocked back and forth too easily. You know, my, my thoughts on this episode as a whole, and this kind of brings me to it, is it's too long. The hour, the hour is not great. The and hour just kind they... of drags. And, I'm, and I, I was trying to figure out... I think they do Hour in Season 5 also after this. I'm pretty sure they do. They do, but it's more plot-heavy. This episode has a long, uh, long montage of the producers. I think it was a really big get for HBO to get the producers at this time. Oh, I'm sure it was. Because the producers had just come out. It was big. No, what, wait. I saw the producers my... In 2002, I saw the producers. It hadn't just came out. I saw it, it in 2003. Big. It was still like being I know I a saw big Broadway show. I know put, I saw it in 2002. But anyway, putting a Broadway show on television is kind of a big deal. They don't really do that. I, I really can't think of any Broadway show. They put Cats on television right when it was going off of Broadway, and it was kind of a big deal. Don't Just, remember that. No, no, it's definitely a big deal to get HBO and Mel Brooks, and they had a lot of guest stars in this episode, actually. Yeah, I feel like there was some sort of pressure from Mel Brooks to make it an hour-long special because it was featuring the producers so heavily. Maybe. And it kind of shows because uh, we have that these, makes sense. these throwaway scenes which aren't even accurate, like Larry peeing standing up in an airplane. There's no consequence to this. No, you're right. Um, you are correct. So so getting to the hotel then, mm-hmm. Larry has no money to tip anyone. 
so the first doorman he doesn't give anything to. There are a lot of doormen just to get into this like room. The second one, who he gives a twenty dollars to and says give ten to the other guy, and then he doesn't do it. So this was just like a direct flashback, like deja vu in my mind. The season one, episode five, uh, the interior decorator, when Larry keeps going to his doctor's office and never has money to pay the parking meter, or not the meter, like the attendant. And he gives one attendant money to give the other one. They don't do it. It's a whole thing. So Larry's really bad luck giving co-workers money to give to other co-workers. That, that's my point. Oh, it never works. You'd, you'd think he'd learn, but alas, he does not. Uh, well, you'd actually think these people would just give it to their co-workers. Like, they should be friends, I assume. They work together. I don't, I don't know. I did someone, like the... If someone gave me $20, I'd give 10 to, like, the guy who works next to you. I'd probably give the guy 10 Yeah. Maybe. Anyway. Anyway. I move did on like to the, the, the room tour. The Bellboy's room tour was fantastic. Bellboy's were starting from, this is your key. It's a card. Slide it in. Apply firm pressure and twist to open the door. And then it's just it's just great when Larry starts making fun of the shower, the windows. This this is the floor, it's for standing. Yep. And he sends him off. He says, I'm gonna give you a tip, but don't be dubious. Whatever you yep. do, don't be dubious. Well, he uses a different word each time, like skeptical, doubt, dubious, to describe them not believing he's gonna tip them. Dubious is my favorite. Oh, it's the best one. It builds to dubious. So Larry meets Jeff down in the hotel bar and they start to flirt with this woman. I love their their cover story is that they're business associates. Uh, they're in pet grooming and Jeff clearly breaks on this. He just starts laughing. Well, and did you notice the animals Jeff listed? Horses and cats. Horses. <laughs> exactly. Pet, they do horses in their van. Well, first he said they have people in the back of the van. Larry and Jeff just stay in the front of the van. Like they're yep. the drivers. They have people in the back of the van do it. They have horses in their van. Uh, yeah, the, quite a good cover story. Right before that, though, I did take a note that Jeff is really the worst manager. Mm -hmm. Like, Larry says, I think I should study my lines. It's two days till opening night. Jeff's, ah, oh, forget your lines. Come have a drink. Like, Jeff should be looking out for Larry here. Like, that's the only thing Larry pays him to do. Yeah. And and you have to know that Jeff knows that Larry is terrible. At yeah. That Larry theater. can't do this and doesn't know his lines and can't do anything. So we have kind of another throwaway scene here with the dinner Mexican with food. with the Mexican food. It's a lot of sight gags, right at one after another. I thought they were decent, though. Uh, it's I thought Larry, he's, it. he's good at that, um, like that look of pain, like the the bodily noises he makes. Like it, it all works together. But Curb doesn't excel at sight comedy. Curb no, excels it, at smart plot-driven comedy, or like in front of improv lines. Feels like fluff. That's all I got to say. Oh, it's definitely a fluff scene. Um, no, you're right. It is. I, I don't think it was atrocious, but I, I agree with you. The more I'm thinking about this, they're definitely... They're still, definitely still reaching for the time. hour. Definitely. Yes. Yes. Definitely. And they could have, like, because it's HBO and, like, schedules don't matter. You could just do 45 minutes. Like, there's no... You don't have to keep it to a half-hour hour schedule. The previous episode was 31 and a half minutes. Exactly. Um... And they have a random one in season eight, Mr. Softy, which is just like 38 minutes. Oh, um, but that is a fantastic episode. That's it a good deserves episode. 38 minutes. We'll get to those minutes when they happen. Um, so what We next? meet Cousin Andy again, who suggests... Yep. They just Larry. go look at houses in Westchester. I, I've been to Westchester. There can be some nice open houses there. Does he really think Larry has free time to just I don't know. go drive around Westchester with him and look at houses? So did you know that Richard Kind, 
who plays Cousin Andy, actually was Max Bialystok in The Producers in 2005. Really? Yeah. After this? After this. Was he the first one after Nathan Lane? Mm, I don't think so, because I saw it in 2003 or four, and I didn't see Nathan Lane. Oh, he was already off? Yeah. They didn't, he didn't play Max Bialystok for a long time. Oh, uh, interesting. Was Broderick still on when you saw it, or no? No. They, they did about a year. Okay. I, I saw when they were on, but Broderick was sick that day, so I only saw Nathan Lane. Shame. It's okay. Uh, we meet Cousin Andy, and then we get the Stephen Colbert exchange on the street. Stephen Colbert. Has he ever, like, acted before, not as, like, a talk show host or a daily show correspondent? Uh, I'm sure he has. I didn't look it up, but I remember thinking the same thing. Okay. Wasn't he famous enough at this point to, to like be too famous to not play himself on the show i don't know this is pre-colbert rapport because you have this weird thing on curb where some people are famous famous off the daily show yeah but i mean some people are famous enough to play themselves on curb and some people aren't i i agree and it's an interesting line because i always thought Stu browdy from season three is not isn't really famous enough to play himself like he was the neighbor in that 70s show it's it's weird. I don't remember where Colbert was in his career in 2004. but It was pre-Colbert Rapport, and he wasn't that big off of just The Daily Show, I don't think. You know what I do love? I do love that they custom-made a producer's poster with Larry David and David Schwimmer on it. It's the whole, yeah, the the marquee, the poster, the, the theater looks real from the outside. I want one of those posters. Oh, I should have looked those up. You think that they would made... be fantastic to own. That I would, would be love good. that. I'm, I'm sure you can find it or make it. Mm, making it would be too hard. I'm not that right. good at Photoshop. I'm sure we can find it. Not as good as Stephen Colbert, who can take a horizontal picture and Photoshop vertical <laughs> buildings behind it, even though they're not in the shot. That he can just Photoshop the Manhattan skyline into this picture of him. Obviously, you just take two. Just take one of each and be done with it. But... It's a digital camera. Just, just don't waste it. Just, just go. <laughs> just shoot. Uh, yeah. So it was Colbert 2004, though. Curses, Larry. Um, you will fail. fail. And there's some truth to that. Yeah. So does Larry owe David Schwimmer a watch? I actually think we've discussed this before. Um, <laughs> I kind of think David Schwimmer is right. Ooh, I think he's wrong. Larry had his watch and lost it. Like, I, I don't know. It, it's 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 definitely gray. Like, it's not black or white that easy. But Larry, he did have his watch last and was going to give it to David Schwimmer and then lost the watch. Yeah, I, I, think, I think Schwimmer, I think Schwimmer's wrong here. So, so like, let's say I take the Mel Brooks Larry position. finding it, let's mm-hmm. let's say Schwimmer loans Larry's watch. And then when Larry's returning it, he loses it. Mm-hmm. Then is it Larry's fault? Maybe. I don't know. Well, that, I think, that's definitely Larry's fault. Uh, I don't know. What I do like is Norm obviously just goes against Larry and is the most vocal person defending David Schwimmer. Yep. It's because he hates Larry so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like Mel Brooks's comment that when Larry's being fake OCD, it looks like you're building a sandcastle. <laughs> yep. And with Larry just staring down, moving cups around completely meaninglessly just to, to keep his little OCD thing so going. So then we have this weird, um, the weird purse snatching scene. Which has almost no consequence whatsoever. Well, it sets 
very I think little it, consequence. No, no, no. I don't think very little. It sets, it pushes Katie over the top to help lay on his birthday present. I don't think she would have done it without that. I think it's another unnecessary sight gag. We get to see the Larry comedy run. And then it's a good Larry comedy run, especially on the way back, as you get a close up of his facial expression scared out of his mind as he's running back. But but no, this this does have plot. Like she mentions that in her dressing room as like a reason she's willing to do it now. Feels like filler. Feels like mm, filler. Not as much as the others. Though. Not as much as the other. Still feels like filler. Okay, but you're right. There's a, all the fillers are just like sight gags from the peeing just psych- to yeah, the they have, Mexican they, food to this. You're right. They add nothing to the plot. Um, so, opening night. We opening get night montage. Musical montage. Music Larry, for Curb. And Larry gets his money back from the doorman who, <laughs> who admittedly didn't pay the other doorman. It's a good. It's it's a good little catch. Yep. I loved the Nathan Lane cameo. Really good. Really good. Um, they didn't have to do that, but it was good. No, they didn't. I'd actually even forgotten that they did do that. Like, I remember their son- that Seinfeld's in it at the end. I did not remember Nathan Lane. And then we have, well, Larry trying to convert on his 10-year anniversary present with Katie Huffman. And he can't go through with it because she has a Bush Picture photo. of George W. Bush. That's a great Bush photo with his fist <laughs> clenched. <laughs> so i mean like say you are a huge bush supporter like do you really need to have like a press like a picture of him on your in your dressing room like that she type flew, of thing she would have she flew from the west coast that means she flew with that photo oh of course like not with her. family or friends or like successes like or her on stage like why is it just bush it's a photo of it doesn't make no sense. She's a Republican. That's what she has to do. And so Larry can't, he can't do go it. through with it. He loses his last and best chance. He's The thing is, if you look back this whole season, he's had way too many chances just fall into his lap. Mm-hmm. I mean, from the dental hygienist who just calls him to the Hasi Jew to Katie Hoffman. I think those are it. Am I right? That's about it. It's still, like, you're right. Considering where the season starts with Larry trying to hit on that girl at the karaoke uh, club about and a spiel about bowling. Nothing to do at night. Like, you'd kind of imagine he's never going to get anywhere close to this. And he somehow has three girls. He hasn't even, con- or three women. He hasn't even convinced, like, they're the ones initiating. He's a, he's a tornado of failure. There's, there's something appealing about that bald Jewish man. I don't know. That's so Mel did Brooks you like Mel Brooks' send off? To him and David Schwimmer backstage. <laughs> yeah. One, he just keeps spelling everything. Which, like, if you're trying to, like, keep all your lines straight before you go on stage, like, do you really want to be confused by someone spelling, stunning, and overture at you? Yeah. Break legs. Break everything. And then as he's walking away, <laughs> don't, don't break, break anything. anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did like that. Um, yes, I put so that down. So then there's this long montage of the producer scenes, which I really think is a big, big get at this time. I, I think you're right. And I, Larry's not awful in his scenes when he's actually on, in the show. No. In fact, his singing voice is actually pretty decent. Singing voice is decent. And like, I'm just, I'm just thinking about him versus Jerry. Because one, Jerry's in the audience and makes a good cameo with his, like, kind of awkward, I'm getting out of your face, which I liked. But, like, part of the reason, like, on Seinfeld, Jerry acted and Larry didn't was just they thought Jerry would be funnier on stage. Mm-hmm. Like I remember reading about that. And I could you picture Jerry Seinfeld doing what Larry just did on stage? Like I don't think that person would ever be be in that. No, I can't. I can't. Like he he really can't. Like he's he never 
Like Larry's so much freer on stage with how he acts than Jerry's ever been. Jerry's, like, Jerry's really uptight. He's very unexpressive. Yeah, very unexpressive. So I just, I just thought Larry, I, Larry did a good job in that show. Like the only thing that's expressive about Seinfeld is his voice, really. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, he never does anything with his actions. Like he wouldn't sing, he wouldn't dance, he wouldn't, he just wouldn't do that. But then again, maybe that's just not the side of Jerry you've seen. I, mean, no, I, I imagine he can do it. I've seen him on Comedians in Cars with Coffee. I've seen him on The Marriage Ref. Um, he did an episode of 30 Rock. Like, those aren't great samples, but still, like, I, 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 I don't see it out of Jerry. I think the best sample was the marriage ref. That was the best, the best thing you could have sampled of Jerry Seinfeld. The marriage Definitely. ref with Tom we, Papa. We watched most of those. We, yeah, it wasn't hard to watch most of those. They went from like decent celebrities very quickly to like no name celebrities. Like David the first couple episodes were like. Larry David, Jerry Seinfeld, Jason Alexander, um, Sarah Silverman, like, good comedians. And then after, like, the first four, no one had ever heard of. Yeah. Larry David's, like, the perennial opener. He's a huge get. He yeah. Was, uh, he was the first on the first episode of that. He was on the first episode of Jeff Garland's podcast. Right. All well, he just does is friends' favors. Yeah. I guess. All right. Anyway, so, so the show, Larry's good in the show. He is... Good in his improv. Why he decides... I mean, I know he's Larry David, but why that character on stage in front of everyone would just so willingly give up on the show and go to improv is still kind of stretching it for me, but it worked, I guess. I don't even think that improv is that funny. Oh, no, I don't think it's funny at all. Just the audience liked it. I didn't think he made a single good joke that I thought. This is the thing that really gets me about the end of this episode, and I is that... Everything in the end just seems so fake. The fake audience laughter, the... All the lines, yeah, yeah. Oh, that All Larry David is so funny. I can't wait to see if he's better in the second act than he is in the first. If he's as thrilling in the second act, this will last five years. Yeah, it is. But I think, and I didn't look this up, I just remember knowing this before, that a lot of Mel Brooks and his wife's lines in that bar are the actual lines from the producers. Oh, those are line for line yes. from one of the scenes in the producer. That's what it, makes this a brilliant ending. I, this is so, like, the, the ending is, it's, it's almost beyond brilliant for Curb. Like, this is smart for any show, let alone Curb, which never does anything with its plots. Like, the whole season comes together, that from day one, this is why Mel liked him. The parallels to them actually doing that scene word for word in the bar are great. And that, and in the parallels to the end of like, it, it's all works so well that in the producers, the show becomes a hit and this becomes a hit and Mel has to stay on forever. Yeah. The, the, the specific line, no way out, no way out is yeah, definitely exactly. from the producers, but uh, actually a because lot they of those do that were... earlier in a rehearsal. There's like, it cuts to a scene where David Schwimmer's going no way out and Larry's doing something. Mm -hmm. Hide our faces. All of that is directly from the producers. Yeah. Hi, hide it's your so faces. Brilliant. Because hide your face is such a fake line that no one would ever say outside of a musical. Like <laughs> yeah. hide your faces. People are coming. Like that's such a musical line. Yeah. And, and the drunk, the drunk hides his face too. Yeah. Um, um, the, so drunk, what, the drunk looks a lot like um, what's his I name? I kept thinking he was someone famous. He looks a lot like uh, Gene. Yes, Gene Richards or, no. or Gene Simmons. No. Oh. <laughs> no. Gene. Gene. Gene Hackman. No. He was in the producers. Are we thinking of like the? He was. Old... He was Willy Wonka. Yeah. He was also in Gene Blazing Wilder. Saddle. 
Gene, Gene Wilder. Yeah, that's what I meant. I just Gene, don't know why. Gene said. Richards. <laughs> Gene Wilder was, in, was in the Gene producers. Wilder plays, he's in Blazing Saddles also. I yeah, think, right? he's in, yeah. He's, he's in a the lot drum of kind of looks like Gene Wilder. Is he? It, he's not. He's not. Okay, because I, I swear I did think that too, even though I didn't know the name, but I was I knew that guy. I thought he did look like him. Mm-hmm. And I figured he would do this for Mel also. I, he probably would. I mean, he's been in almost every Mel Brooks movie. I don't know. I don't think it's a coincidence that the drunk looks a lot like Gene Wilder. No. Um, and so we it, end the series. We end the season with one hour left. One hour left, and Larry on stage saying one hour. But I don't. I bet he doesn't do it. That that's my deep analysis. Your, your deep analysis is that it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in that last hour. I'm going to agree with you. There's no way it happens. And it's too bad. Good season? Good season. I mean, this had the carpool lane. This had the five wood. This had those scenes I love from The Survivor. This episode might not have been that funny, but brought everything together really well. The earlier stuff with Ben Stiller was great. It was a good season. All in all, this is a fantastic season. Perhaps my favorite. It's the best to date. Um, oh, hands down, the best to date. It is the it is the best to date. I might have thought I liked three better before, but I don't. I yes, I, six with the blacks is so good. It's Seven almost a different Seinfeld, show at that point. It is. I, I completely agree, and we'll talk about that. But like once Leon comes on board, it actually really changes the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seven with Seinfeld is so good. Even eight was like I don't know if I'm going to say four is the best at the end, but I'm four is the best so far. I really feel like once they bring the blacks in, it's almost like a curb reboot. Like we're going to do a different show now. Yes. And that season four is the best season of original curb. Well, before they that's actually very true. Cause season five, although I actually like it a fair amount, uh, was probably the worst reviewed season of curb. There's some, there's some good stuff, but no, it's there, not there's, four. there's never not good stuff in, in a whole season, but no, I mean, five was critically generally considered like the down year, um, of all of one through five. And then, they reboot on sex with Leon and bring... They start giving Funkhauser a ton more run, Leon a ton more run, and then I just love season seven for everything it represents in life. All right. And we will get to there soon. <laughs> Not that soon, but we will. Well, thank you for listening to Curbcast, America's number one podcast about curb your enthusiasm. I was doing a bumper. I, I could tell. Nice, nice bumper. <laughs>